Well, I'm so excited about this new, new series that we're starting today. We're calling it Capture the Wonder. And today I want to talk to you about being called to a new life. When my children were little, and for some reason the last few months, the Holy Spirit has just really been dealing with my heart. Call my people back to wonder. Call my people back to amazement. Call my people back to a sense. It's like when I open up my Bible, there it is. It's when I'm praying, it's that sense of impression. I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when I've taken Becky for granted, but there have been times when I've been tempted to take Becky for granted and all the things that she does. I don't think I've ever been tempted. To, I don't think I've ever taken the church for granted, but there have been times when I've been tempted to take the church for granted. But there are times in our life where we can be tempted to take God for granted. His heart, as we sang this morning, his heart is our home. And we live and we pray more through a function and through a discipline rather than just the wonder of being in God's presence that God knows you and God knows everything about you and God still loves me even though he knows everything about me. That's a pretty amazing thing. And that he gave Jesus. And so when we take the communion and hold the bread and we drink the cup, I want us to have that wonder in our mind. And I tried to think of ways I could illustrate this and I flash back in my mind a lot of times when our children were little I hate dandelions. Don't you hate dandelions? And yet they're one of God's wonderful creations. I looked up dandelions this week. They're found on every continent in the world. I, I, if that's Antarctica, that's really amazing, you know. But they're found in every single continent. And one dandelion plant can make over 200,000 dandelions just in its one life. I believe that having fought them all my life. Can you say amen to that? But anyway, I remember my children the first time we were in a park and they saw one and the boys just wide-eyed and Becky showed them how to blow and, and so we helped spread that 200,000 from that one plant as we blew upon those seeds. And as I've gotten older in life, I've learned to appreciate just all of creation more. G.K. Chesterton said, the world is not lacking in wonders, but in a sense of wonder. In other words, the world doesn't lack in things for us to marvel at, but we have lost that sense about us to be able to, to wonder. The ocean is one of those examples. The ocean stores up heat for us. The ocean, it takes in the, the, the rain that falls upon the planet. It flows to the ocean. About two miles deep, we have uh, oceans covering three quarters of our planet. I looked it up. I was just curious how much water is in the ocean. And when it saw the number, I actually didn't know how to pronounce the number because there were so many zeros behind it. So I asked my good friend, Dr. Google. I said, Dr. Google, how do I say this? And this is according to Dr. Google. That's 352 quintillion, 670 quadrillion gallons of water in the ocean. How many of you say that's a lot of water? That's a lot of water. But here's the deal. According to astronomers, we've not found any other planet or any other body that has flowing water on the planet. And yet this flowing water on the planet, it controls the temperature of our planet. It stores warmth from the sun during the summer that helps keep the planet from completely freezing over, provides us water. It governs so much of our air and the fresh air that we have or the lack of fresh air that we have. And I stopped and I just thought for a moment when I looked all this up because I was thinking, 
Have I ever just stopped, other than looking at the waves and thinking it is so pretty, have I ever just stopped and contemplated the greatness of the ocean and what it means to us? You see, Jesus said that if you really want to enter the kingdom, if you really want to be a part of the kingdom, you've got to have faith like a child. And that doesn't mean child, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> childishness or immaturity, but it means the wonder of a child. The wonder of a child is the essence of faith. It's the wonder that you and I have. But as we sing these songs, we're not just singing songs as a part of the service, but we're worshiping the Lord. A ch teacher asked her children in her class, what are the seven great wonders of the world? And the, teachers, the students began answering and writing down on their papers things like the Great Wall of China, St. Peter's Basilica, the Empire State Building, things like this, the Grand Canyon. And one little girl hadn't written anything, so the teacher went to her and says, Honey, you haven't written anything down. <clears throat> and she says, I'm having a hard time deciding. And she said, Well, tell us what you think they are, and we'll see if it's the class we can help you. And the little girl goes, Well, I think the seven wonders of the world are to be able to taste to see, to feel, to touch, to love. And all the class just began clapping because this little girl brought back the wonder and the essence of life that you and I have eyes that can see and appreciate the colors that God didn't have to create, but he put into this world. That you and I can touch and feel all of the wonderful textures that he's put into this world. That we can taste the flavors Growing up as someone that was on a restricted diet all the time and ate very bland foods, when I eat now, I love food that has flavor. I tell people sometimes, I just want food to have a party when it hits my tongue because I know what it means not to be able to have flavor and then to experience the different flavors of the world. And so today, what I'd like to do is bring us back to what I think is the wonder of it all, what Easter was all about that we celebrated last week. And the fact is that God has called you and me. How many of you have a cell phone? How many of you have it with you right now? How many of you have kindly turned it off or silenced it? If you haven't, do that right now. Because I have noticed that whenever the phone rings, you can be having dinner, you can be in a meeting, our first instinct is to grab that phone and answer it because somebody important might be calling. Sometimes <clears throat> we have these, these things that interrupt our lives and we just are conditioned to answer that phone because we never know who might be on the other end. The Bible tells us, and if you'll stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord, the Bible tells us two things that I want us to focus in on this morning. First, from Romans 8, 28, you know it, so read it out loud with me. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now notice this. God causes everything to work for good. God doesn't cause everything that happens in our lives. God has blessed us with free will. He knows what we're going to do, but he's blessed us with free will. He doesn't cause it, but even the evil that happens in our life, God is able to make that work for good in us. And notice this, you are called. Look at your neighbor this morning and says, God has called you. 
Now, I hope that really hits you right between the eyes. Because if I told you this morning the President of the United States had, was calling you and you could take it in my office, you'd make a beeline, your chest would be stuck out and say, the President is calling me. Well, some of you are going, you're playing politics. Now, just be nice. You see, God called you the most important being in the universe. He's got your number. And he's not going to lose it. And he calls you for his purpose. There is a reason for your life. And what I pray for you, and I pray this frequently for you, and I've got a prayer just basically as my screensaver on my laptop that I pray several times a day. It just comes up and it reminds me to pray for you, but it's based upon this right here, Ephesians 1, 18 and verse 19. Paul's praying for the church. It's my prayer for you as well. I ask that your minds may be opened to see his light so that you will know what is the hope to which he has called you, the hope which he has called you, and how rich are the wonderful blessings he promises his people, and how very great his power is at work in us who believe. Listen, knowing that God has called you, knowing that God has called you individually, and called this church collectively should bring about a deep sense of purpose, a deep sense of joy, look at me, and a deep sense of security in Christ. Now, Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus in the next few minutes, please, Lord, for those that may be somehow or another wondering what's the purpose of my life, for those that may be feeling I'm never going to accomplish anything, for those, Lord, who are wondering what now that I've given my life to you, Jesus, I pray, help them to capture the wonder of what it means to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. For it's in your name I pray. And everybody agreed and said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, as you see on the screen, God has called you to a deep sense of security and what you do is you sense, you feel that Jesus is taking over your life. Yesterday, somebody said to me, brought up that old song, Jesus Take the Wheel, that Carrie Underwood used to sing. And we laughed about it for a few moments. And I've been in some of those accidents and at times when I didn't know the song back then, but I literally was like, Jesus take the wheel. But when you know that God has called you, you know that Jesus has really, he's taking control of your life. He's leading you. He's guiding you. Somebody once said to me, he says, well, you know, and right here in our community said to me, he says, well, the reason I'm not a Christian is I'm not going to use Jesus as a crutch in my life. Well, if Jesus is not going to be your crutch in your life, what are you going to lean on? I mean, you're living on a planet that's hurtling zillions of miles through space, spinning around like a top like crazy, you're living out your days, and for every single one of us, one day a trap door is going to open up underneath our feet, and we're going to fall into a grave, and you're either going to fall into the arms of Jesus Christ and live with him forever in heaven, or you're going to fall into a place of eternal torment called hell. So if you're not leaning on Jesus, what are you leaning on? What gives you security in your life? Your money can't stop cancer. 
Your money can't stop a traffic accident. Your money can't stop your loved ones from turning their backs upon you. Your money can't heal a broken heart. Anything that really, really matters in life, your money can't fix. God is the only one who can give you what you cannot lose. That is eternal life with Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen this morning. That gives me a deep, deep sense of security in my life. God, in first, excuse me, in Galatians chapter one and verse six, God, by his grace, grace is his undeserved kindness when God gives me what I don't deserve, God, by his grace through Christ, has called you to become his people. He's called us as a church. He's called each of you in, as individuals. God, like I said earlier, knew everything about me, but he chose to save me anyway. Look at 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. He, Christ, has saved us and called us to a holy life. Now notice that. Salvation and calling go together. Circle those two words in your outline there. Saved us and called us. They go together. He has saved us, called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. So there should be a deep sense of security in your life that Jesus has taken the wheel, that Jesus is Lord of your life. That's what we mean, that he's the master, he's the boss, he's in control. Secondly, I'm called for God's purpose. In other words, I begin to sense God's intention for my life. I begin to sense that I'm not an accident. I'm created by God, I'm created for God. You're created by God, you're created for God. God's calling is about God's plan for my life, not my plan for my life. Number of years ago, probably 15 years ago, I preached a message in our service on 10 ways you can know the will of God. 10 questions that Becky and I ask ourselves every time we have to make a really big or major decision in our lives. I've since increased that to 12 ways that we have just 12 questions we prayerfully go through from the Bible that kind of help us stay, we hope, and we trust by faith, walking in, 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 in the spirit with what God has called us to do in our lives. And I remember after that service, there was a banker here that morning and she told me, she said, I can't tell you what that meant to me, that finally I could see God really does have a plan for my life. He has intention for my life. You know, the Bible tells us a story about two men named Esau and Jacob. How many of you know who I'm talking about? Esau and Jacob were twin brothers. And in the days that Esau and Jacob were born, the older son got the best of everything. He got a double portion of his father's estate. He was like the number one son. He was like the kid that you always pointed to. You wanted this kid. If anybody was going to go to college, he was going to go to college. If anybody was going to get something in life, he, it didn't matter if you were the firstborn girl. It was the firstborn boy that really mattered. And when the secondborn came along, hey, we're glad you're here, but this is all about your brother. Well, God decided he didn't like that. And so he chose the younger. He chose the one called Jacob and said, I've got a plan for your life. And though his parents tried to work against God's plan, God still sovereignly worked out his plan, reversing the order. Look at Romans chapter 9 and verse 11, Paul's comment on this. Paul talking about these two boys. Before the two boys were born, God told Rebekah, the older will serve the younger. This was before the boys had done anything good or bad. By the way, they both did a lot of bad. They both did some good. God said this so that the one chosen would be a chosen because of God's own plan. 
He was chosen because he was the one God wanted to call, not because of anything he did. Circle that phrase, he was the one God wanted to call. I want you to talk to your neighbor one more time, unless you don't know them, because I don't want anybody weirded out this morning. But I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God wanted to call you. Barbara, God wanted to call you, sweetheart. Vic, God wanted to call you. Isn't that good news? God wanted to call you. Somebody called me the other day, and, and I just happened to share it with someone else, someone fairly important according to everybody else's standards. And they went, and I won't share with them anymore because they went and blabbed it to everybody. So I've been getting calls. How did you get this person to call you? How did you get in their network? And I said, you know, I didn't. They just called. I said, they just called. I don't, know how, I don't know how it came about. They just called. And I was able to pray with them and talk with them. And, and, and probably how it all came about was through our live streaming. And God calls you not for anything you've done. You didn't earn the call. God just calls you because he loves you. You have a unique calling in your life. As a matter of fact, God says this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We are God's masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. In other words, we were made for a purpose that he planned for us a long ago. You see, God shows you your calling when he saves you, when he forgives you of your sins and you begin to seek his face. The banker who says, I see God as intention in my life. She had religion. She had crossed the line. She had given her heart to Jesus. She had religion, but she hadn't put it all together yet that God called her. God had an intention and plan for her life. And why does he call us to do good works? Because our good works are our contribution to the world. The good works that you have done to bless others, the good works that you have done to bless others, that's how God is using you to give back to our world. So every time you show mercy, every time you show kindness, every time you help feed the hungry, every time you support a missionary, everything that you do in this life, loving your wife or loving your children, raising a family that loves God, you're doing what God created you to do. You're contributing back to the world. So let's review. We're secure, deeply secure in Christ, and we're called by God. But the third thing is God chose my calling before I was born. Before I was ever born, God had a calling for my life. And you may not have come to Jesus until you were late, late in life. I prayed with a man 86 years old to give his heart to Jesus Christ. He wept like a baby, gave his heart to Christ, was marvelously born again. We were talking later, and he says, my biggest regret in life was that I didn't do this earlier. How many years have I missed? I said, let's don't focus on what the devil has stolen from the past. God is able to do more in 60 seconds than you can do in a lifetime. Just surrender yourself and realize God has a plan for your life today. God has not called you to retire to a wheelchair or a rocking chair. Somebody say amen this morning. Morning. And he especially hasn't called you to retire and play shuffleboard in Florida. That is so boring. But you sense freedom in Christ. When I do what God has called me to do, I'm free. I flow with it. It's fun. It's joyful. If I try to be a guitarist, I'm going to be frustrated. If I try to be a police officer, I'm going to be frustrated. 
oh, that's okay. Everybody breaks the speed limit once in a while. Who am I to judge? I mean, I would be fired for not writing tickets. You see, you find your call and your intention and you just flow with it. Stop laughing over there, police officers. See, what I don't want you to do, look at, look at me. I'm so serious right here. I have, re- this point I really prayed over. Don't underestimate what God wants to do in your life. Don't underestimate what God wants to do with your children. Don't underestimate what God wants to do with your grandchildren. And don't underestimate what God wants to do with this congregation. You and we are not an accident. Isaiah 44 and verse 2 says, I am your creator. Before you were born, you were in my care. If you think you're an accident, you live like an accident. If you think that your life doesn't have intention and purpose, you live like an accident. That's the reason that abortion is so wrong and so evil because God chose the purpose for that baby's life before that baby was ever born. Are there accidental parents? Yes. But are there accidental children? No. Every child is born and created in the image of God. Somebody say amen this morning. So we are secure in Christ. We're called by God. We're chosen before we were born. And the wonder of wonders is this. My sins do not change my calling. My messes do not change. We talked about this Wednesday night. My sins and my messes do not change my calling when I sin in life. Even after I become a Christian, God knew what I would do once he saved me, but he still saved me anyway. You sense the mercy of God. Now, let me talk to you for just a moment about sin because I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea because this will hurt you, this will hurt those around you. Sin is serious. When I say that your sins and the messes you make in life won't change God's plan for your life, I'm not saying don't take sin seriously. Sin is serious. If I, if I see a, a dangerous wild animal, I'm going to run. I'm going to climb a tree. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm in the jungle one time, and, and, and this animal just slid out and looked at me. I mean, huge, big, long And it's not a fisherman's tail. He was huge. He was big. He was long. And that tongue spitting in and out. I was scared. I did what any sane man from the United States would do in the jungle. I started screaming and running at the same time. I wanted help. You run from sin. But if you sin, don't run from Jesus Run to Jesus, run to the cross because he is waiting upon you. You run to Jesus like he's someone that you haven't seen in a long time that you love so much. I have gotten off the airplane at times and our kids have met me at the airport and just run and jumped in my arms. I've met Becky at the airport and ran and grabbed her and just picked her up off her feet. I'm so glad to see her. Recently, someone at the township hall grabbed me and just gave me a big hug right there and said, I love you, man, and I love you. You, you grab Jesus the way you grab somebody like you haven't seen in a long time because Jesus loves you and you love him. Listen to this. I'm so grateful. I'm reading from 1 Timothy 1.12. I'm so grateful. I mean, Paul wants young Pastor Tim to get this. I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do this work. You know, he went out on a limb. 
you know, entrusting me with this ministry. The only credentials I brought to her were invective, witch hunts, and arrogance. If you don't know, Paul hated Christians. He hated Jesus. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing wrong, and I didn't know who I was doing it to. Paul is saying, I did some bad stuff. I did some wicked stuff. I did some sinful stuff. How many of you would raise your hand with me and said, I've done some sinful stuff in my life? Can I see your hand? And yet Jesus Christ loves you. And I'm so grateful that he went out on a limb for us. Not only do my sins not change God's plans for my life, but people who sin against me, they don't change God's plans for my life. And I know some of you feel battered. I know some of you feel bruised. I know some of you feel hurt. I know some of you feel beat up. You have been betrayed. You have had awful things that have happened to you. Some have been raped. Some have had uh, things happen to them that I don't even want to talk about from this pulpit that have happened to you in life. But people's sins against you do not change God's plan for your life. God is able in that wickedness and that evil that happened to you. He has crushed the devil. He has defeated the devil, and God wants to make something good and beautiful and do something powerful in your life. That's the call of God upon your life. Hallelujah. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. He will never go back on his promise. So in review, I'm secure in Christ, deeply secure in Christ. I'm called by God. I was chosen before I was born. My sins and messes don't change God's call. And fifthly, my calling is connected to the body of Christ. I need you. You need me. I need community. You need community. I can't do it alone. Every single one of us need each other. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. That's how it is with us. There are many of us, but we each are a part of the body of Christ as well as a part of one another. Now that's an interesting, look at me, don't miss this. That's an interesting analogy. Have you ever watched a movie and all of a sudden the bad guy has pulled out a box to show the guy he's trying to intimidate and there's a hand? Don't you just want to turn away from it? Because what good is a hand without being attached to a body? Or maybe the bad guy has cut off somebody's ear and brought it to the mother and father and says, if you don't pay me, you know, and there's in mother's and father's collection. What good is an ear without a body? Some of you say, Pastor, please, that's enough. But think about it. What good am I unless I'm connected to the body of Christ? You see, my life not only finds purpose in Christ, my life finds purpose in the church. I love the church. I believe in the church. Wherever the church is, Wherever the church, whatever continent, whatever city, inner city, country, rural church, whatever it is, the local church is God's answer to the world's hurt and needs. You are the salt and the light of the earth, but together we make up a body. So we're secure, we're called, we're chosen. God's call is never withdrawn, and we need the church. But here's good news. God empowers me to do what he has called me to do. And God empowers you to do what he's called you to do. This is you begin to sense the power of God. I've shared this before, and sometimes people say, I, I, I just don't get it. Preaching always makes me nervous every single week. 
I am fine after I've got done preaching. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy being with people. But there's just something that has me up and down that, that last moment. And yet I sense God's power rise up when I come to preach and I come to speak because God equips. But this is what I've learned. And if you can just get this, and I think this is the answer. I, I, you know, I've been trying to think of how to respond to some doctors that I've just met with lately and what they've said. Faith begins where my power ends. Faith begins where my ability ends. Faith begins where my resources end. As long as I am walking in what I can do, I am not using and accessing the power of God. I am not accessing what faith can do. But when you come to that place where you've run out of resources, and you say, God, I can't do this. Moses said, I can't do this. Joshua said, I can't do this. Paul said, I can't do this. Jesus was the only one that ever fully got it, and he's taught us how now. And that was if we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would give us power to be witnesses. So Paul prays like this for you and I in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 11. We keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. And that's our prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. God will empower you. How many of you sense a need for power in your life? Can I see your hand this morning? You say, I know God's put something in my heart. I really sense a need for power. You see, if you're not at that place, look at me. Don't miss this. If you're not at that place where you sense a need for God's power, you haven't stepped out into the area of faith yet. Because when you get in that area that has called you, God has called you to, you know that money is not the answer. You know that facilities are not the answer. You know you have got to have the power of God. So we're secure, we're called, we're chosen. His call is never withdrawn. We need the church and that God empowers me. And here's the point I've looked forward to preaching. There's a prize. There's a prize awaiting you and me. I sense hope in the face of death. I sense hope in the face of death. Death is not that cold shadow creeping up, fearing in life. Jesus took the sting out of death. Jesus took the victory away from the grave. Do you remember a few minutes ago I told you no matter what people have done against you, Jesus has taken the sting out of sin. Jesus has done something for you and I that only he could do by his blood. Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What do you imagine that God has prepared for you in heaven? Look at me. The beginning of this message, I said, we're living on a planet hurtling zillions of miles. I don't know how fast through this, through space. It's spinning like a top. And one day a trap door will open up every one of, under every one of our feet. One day if Jesus tarries, you'll say, do you remember Pastor Clanton? Do you remember him? And you may even go to my grave or you may even look up my obituary. But don't you make the mistake of thinking I'm dead because I will be in the arms of Jesus Christ. 
forever and ever his heart is my home. Forever and ever his heart is my home. And the things that he has prepared for us, the Bible says, I hasn't seen, it hasn't even entered into our imagination. Heaven is going to be wonderful. Becky recently had a dream. <laughs> we have just been, matter of fact, I shared it with my prayer partners. In her, in her dream, she was in heaven. She was looking for me. Couldn't find me. I'm glad to know she was looking for me in heaven. Hubba, hubba, hubba. Makes me feel good. She was looking for me in heaven, and all of a sudden she found me, and I was walking with this tall, handsome young man, and, and she does what she always does, but she can't find me. Where have you been? I have been looking all over for you. And I stopped her, and I says, Becky, meet our grandson. This is Josiah. Oh, I'm getting chill bumps telling this right now. And as Josiah talked with us in her dream, he said, I know every time you held me, I remember every time you sang to me, I remember every time you played a musical instrument for me, he said, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't respond, but I remember. Friends, you have no idea how wonderful heaven is going to be, and you have no idea how hellish hell is going to be. The wonder of it all is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? Would you stand with me? And I want us to sing that chorus together before I pray. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So if you would, go ahead and stand. And ushers, you can go ahead and get ready to receive the offering after I pray. Hallelujah. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus, he loves you so much. 
Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah. For the Bible tells me so. Hallelujah. I sing that song every Sunday morning when I'm driving to church. Over and over. In my first theology class I took, our professor looked at us, told us we were about to start and embark on the most fascinating, wonderful, difficult study we'd ever do in our lives, and that was the study of God. He said, no mind, no man, no book can ever comprehend the greatness of God. But you've committed to learn about Him. He said, but never forget, according to the great theologian Helmut Tillich, and he was a great theologian, a godly man, he said, good biblical theology can be summed up in the words of this course you just sang. Jesus loves me. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And I wrote a prayer, and I want to pray it, and I want you to pray it after me this morning, if you would. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for creating me. I am not an accident. You chose me. You cared for me. You called me before I was ever born. Thank you, Lord, that you created me. You gave me a calling, an assignment, a purpose for my life. And this morning, I recommit to the prayer Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Father, I've made many mistakes. I've sinned a lot. And other people have hurt me through their sins against me. But my messes and their sins have not changed your plans for me. I love the church. I love Woodland in particular. I want to be connected, not disconnected. And I thank you that you gave me the power by the Holy Spirit to do what you've called me to do. And may I live the rest of my days seeking the prize that awaits me when my life here is finished. Now, while your heads are still bowed, if you've never asked Jesus in your life or if you need to recommit your life and you're watching online this morning, would you just simply pray this prayer with me? I'm going to ask everyone in the building to pray it with me as well. Say, thank you, Father. Come on, say it. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die for my sins. 
so that I could be free and for raising him to life that I might have purpose and power to live on. Forgive me of my sins and be the Lord of my life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning and just thank him? Hallelujah, hallelujah.